right, continuing our study on Christ's com detailed commands on worship. We're looking at Genesis chapter 2 again uh, this evening. This is a continuation of this morning's message. And um, with the hedonism, uh, which is a pursuit of pleasure uh, for self-indulgent reasons, with the hedonism and rationalism of the day that defies God, some professing believers, uh, they approach the worship of God uh, in the same way that culture approaches life. Uh, there is too much of the world within the walls of professing churches uh, and too little of a regard for the commands of God. Here in Genesis chapter 2, I want to continue this uh, look. And there is a type of uh, quote-unquote professing Christianity we're seeing today that really uh, is embracing the seeker-sensitive movement. And this is a continuation. I, I was recently uh, in contact, I was talking with a pastor uh, down south, and um, there was a national preachers conference that happened amongst a whole bunch of independent Baptist preachers. And uh, there's some preachers that are definitely embracing a lot of the seeker-sensitive movement and embracing a contemporary philosophy of music. And uh, contemporary is not a contemporary in regards to uh, modern, but it's actually, there's a different philosophy of music. And uh, what I'm dealing with tonight will uh, give some credence to this. But I, I, there is a concern, you know, that churches that at once stood firm upon the Word of God are changing the way church is to cater to the culture rather than bringing the culture up to God. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. And we find here with respect to this that God set apart a day for his worship. He sanctified it. It was different than all the other days, day seven. Now, uh, we learn, we're going to learn tonight, we're going to look at tonight with respect to Acts, uh, believers in, in the New Testament era, we s celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We also celebrate the day of rest on Sundays. What is happening here, uh, oftentimes in culture and society in general, let's look at Exodus chapter 32. Uh, I'm just kind of laying the groundwork again. Uh, and and when I, why did I start off with day seven? Because that is a day that God set apart for rest. Then with the Israelites, he said, the Sabbath day, you are to remember you came out of Egypt. You're not to do any work. You're to reflect and remember on me. And as believers today, we, we remember what Jesus did, that we've been delivered from Egypt of sin uh, on Sundays, the first day of the week. And the question I asked also this morning, uh, a little bit of review, why is it we have a seven-day week? It doesn't align with any of the astronomical, uh, anything to deal with the stars or rotation of the earth. It doesn't deal with that. But the seven-day week was created by God, and that's why we still have it this day, because God set the earth in motion, and he set society in motion. Now, what we're finding today in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, and when the people saw that the, Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. 
For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot, that word wot there means to know, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives and of your, of your sons and your, of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron, and he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he'd made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of, out land of Egypt. What an absolute slap in the face of God. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early in the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. See, they fashioned their God in their way. And the principle from this morning is many times in church, uh, church is treated as the man in this following illustration that I'm going to read here shortly. But we think about this, this comes from Spurgeon, he wrote this out. But we, God gives us commands, and and, and this morning I I dealt with the tabernacle. God was very specific on all the dimensions, he was specific on all of the brackets and the the lines and the curtains, fine twine linen, I mean God was very, very specific. The clothing, how they were approached God with their heart, uh, the consecration, everything was spelled out by God, both for the tabernacle, the temple, and if God is that specific in the Old Testament, what, th- what makes us think that God is going to be different today, that we can somehow uh, do church our own way? And so this idea of a live stream type church is completely against. This is a modern day phenomenon that is not biblically rooted. But nevertheless, I'm not going down that. But there's a story of a man who was asked, are you a believer in the Christian religion? Oh, certainly. You're a member of some church then, I suppose. Member of a church? No, indeed. Why should I be a member of a church? It is quite unnecessary. The dying thief wasn't a member of a church, and he went to heaven. But of course, you've been baptized. You know the command. Been baptized? Oh, no. That's another needless ceremony. I am as safe as the dying thief was, and he never was baptized. But surely... Since you will not join a church and be baptized, you will do something in acknowledgement of your faith. You will give of your means. You will help the cause in some way. No, sir, I do nothing of the kind. The dying thief, he begins to talk. Let me remark, my friend, before you go any further. You seem to be, to be on pretty intimate terms with the dying thief. You seem to derive a great deal of consolation from his career. But mind you, there's one important difference between you and him. He was a dying thief, and you're a living one, end quotes. We think about this, that God has set apart a day to bring our petitions, our praises, corporately with other believers before the Lord. The command to worship God is throughout Scripture, unless man corrupt it of what is true worship, God has given us specifics on this. And so it is incumbent upon us to stop trying to adjust God to conform to my life and my desires and instead follow his commands for my life and his local church. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing upon this time and I'll continue this study this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Father, I'm thankful that, Lord, as society and culture digresses, uh, Lord, into moral, absolute moral decay. That, Lord, we don't need to worry about changing our message, changing our form and function of gathering to conform to culture. 
But God, you've given us the parameters to do such. Lord, there are some slight things of change, but Father, there's still the songs of praises to you. There's a philosophy of life. There's a mentality of how to approach you, much like what the priests of the Old Testament would do. And Father, I thank you, and I pray that, Lord, the the truths that are communicated this evening would be clear. Lord, I pray that they'd be helpful. And God, I just pray that you'd help me to give out your word in a way that would honor you. I love you, Jesus. In your precious name I pray. Amen. The commitment to God, just real quick, we did see that God had leadership there in Israel in the wilderness. Moses wrote their goings out according to their journeys by the commandment of the Lord, and these are their journeys according to their goings out. And, and God would lead Moses. He, he gave them the specifics for tabernacle worship. He gave them the specifics for the construction of the tabernacle, the contents of the tabernacle, the calendar date for specific offerings and feasts, and the curator. He gave them consecrated believers of how the priests uh, were to set themselves up to be right before God, to be pure before him. Uh, he gave a consecration of tabernacle worship. There was a consecration of in first kings 9 of solomon dedicating the temple he gave them clothing to wear clothing for worship there was a ceremony of dedication for aaron and his sons in leviticus chapter 8 he not only that but he gave them a care for worship how they were to give a tithe to the lord that tithe and and the offerings that they gave and a portion of those offerings would be uh taken in by the levites the priests who would use that for their daily means They weren't to have land as an inheritance, but they were to have the Lord as their inheritance. And so God provided for them. There was a tithe for the needy of the land. And God was the perpetual head of all the worship to the Lord. Now as we come to the new covenant of uh, church, the New Testament church, the Lord has given us, we don't find a command to observe the Sabbath day in the New Testament church age. Uh, Now we find it just for the Jews. I want you to Uh, Look with me at Acts chapter 20, verse 7. We're going to look at several uh, passages of Scripture here. Just God's given in Scripture a clear uh, command through the principles of the New Testament church uh, with respect to worshiping the Lord. And we do so on Sundays, and and you're here today. But Acts chapter 20, verse 7, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow. And continued his speech until midnight. Now, I'm not going till midnight tonight. But the thing is, is they, they had a time of preaching. And, and there was also a time. Let's look at another passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Why do we have Sunday worship? It is not just something that has been handed down, uh, made up by man. Uh, it was something that the disciples in celebration, because in Acts chapter 20, or John chapter 20, verse 19, excuse me, John chapter 20, verse 19, Jesus appeared to them on the first day of the week, and he stood in their midst, and uh, he would speak to them then. And so it was kind of a celebration of the resurrection that we have been given salvation by Jesus. Upon, now, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, uh, let's look at verse 1. Of 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Talking to the church of Corinth. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. 
And uh, so again, he's talking to the church of Corinth. He says, listen, on the first day of the week, when you guys are meeting together to assemble, you're coming all together. It's not a uh, <laughs> mystical way. But uh, again, and then Revelation 1.10 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So there is a day of the Lord, and, and, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. So the apostle John said, the Lord's day. The apostles celebrated on the first day, Sunday. Now, we understand this. Uh, so, again, so Sunday is God says, listen, this is the Lord's day uh, to honor and serve and worship God. Now, we find that the local church is God's house. And I want to look at this, that God has given some commands on this. Now, here's a little illustration for you before we get to a few more scriptures. A pastor once said to a man in town, when you were born, your mother brought you to church. When you were married, your wife brought you to church. When you die, your friends will bring you to church. Why not try coming to church on your own sometime? <laughs> a little uh, inquisitive there. But and we find here that God has given, as he thinks about this, the commands. Israel had the tabernacle. Israel had the temple. And so very clearly, as we find here, the commands, the disciples on the first day of the week. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he's talking uh, to Timothy, who's a pastor, and uh, as he's disseminating these truths and he's uh, encouraging and exhorting Timothy, he very clearly makes it stated that Israel, excuse me, the, the, the church of which Timothy is pastoring is the house of God. And every local church is the house of God. 1 Timothy 3, 15. He says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. So as we think about this, this behaving in the house of God is a physical place, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. He's saying, listen, Timothy, the local church is the house of God. You can't do that. I know we had this some time ago, but you can't do it in a live stream way. You don't know how to behave. You don't, you, I mean, you know how to behave in your own house. But he says, when you behave in God's house, there is a way to do it. And in Ephesians 1.22, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Again, here's, that's Ephesians 1.22, that he gives this, right? All things to the church, and the church of Ephesus he's talking to. And it applies to us today. Jesus is the head. Colossians 1.18 and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And here Jesus is the head of every local New Testament church. Now Jesus, if you want to think about it in a worldwide fashion, he's the head of the institution of the local church, much like you would have the institution of marriage. There's not one husband, there's many husbands. Now, the New Testament church that Jesus gives us a command, I want to look at this very thing that Jesus gives doctrines and commandments as we're talking about the commands of God. Matthew 15, that God, again, he elevates obedience over tradition. So just because a church might have a name or it has a name church, uh, and that's the tradition of what it's done, does not necessarily mean that it is an appropriate way to worship God doesn't mean it's wrong either, but it doesn't mean that it is necessarily right. And so Jesus is bringing here before the believers, he's elevating obedience over tradition. Fifth, Matthew 15, 3. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. 
But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by who, whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. He's saying, Mom and Dad, you're really blessed because of me. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Verse 7 of Matthew 15. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want you doing worship your own way. I don't want you to doing it just because that's the way that some men have said it needs to be done. There is a permanent, fixed standard of how to worship the Lord. Now, we understand this. You must accept God's word in order to be a minister of the Lord. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. If I did not believe the Bible, number one, I wouldn't be here, but number two, I would not have the prerequisite to give God's word. You must believe God's word, and number two, he's giving some of the parameters. Now, understand this. Additionally, when you think about church, Luke chapter 9 Verse 20 and 21, Jesus speaking to the, the disciples, much like the Pharisees, they wanted to bring praises to themselves. But in the church today, it's not about the pastor, it's not about the people, it's all about Christ. He said unto them, but of whom, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, the Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. Jesus was not here seeking the praises and the accolades of man. He didn't want praises upon himself. He wanted praises to God. We also understand in Luke chapter 9, verses 52 through 56, you know, uh, and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, and they did not receive him. Because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? There, as the Catholics would put people to death because they did not believe in the Catholic traditions, they would put him to death. Now, in verse 55, Jesus, again, he says, I'm not coming for justice now, but redemption. But he turned to rebuke them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. You know, they're asking, Lord, we want to command fire. Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about justice. It's about redemption. So the purpose of this, in the, again, is Jesus is saying, listen, I came. And that's the same thing he gave in the Great Commission is redemption, reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 deals with this. Now, what are some objects of worship uh, in the church? I want you to look with me at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Much like they would have there in the tabernacle, they would have the brazen altar, they would, uh, they would have the altar, they would have the laver or the place where the bulls are, they would ha have those uh, bowls along the sides of the, tap of the temple, uh, they would have the table of showbread, they would have the candles, the, the, in the altar of incense, and then they'd have the Ark of the Covenant all there in the temple. Now, what are some things that are objects within the church that are some commands of God? Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 
Ephesians 5.19 is very similar. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God. In the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, the music from my heart to the Lord. There's a music today that's all about the quote-unquote worshiper, but it's not about God. It's about how it makes me feel rather than whether it is structurally and doctrinally correct. Revelation chapter 8, verse 4, And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Much like before you went into that holy of holies, you would have the altar of incense, the prayers of the saints, much in a similar fashion. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. So they prayed together, they ate together, there was preaching together. These are some of the components of the commands for the local New Testament church. Now, in the congregation, when you think of this, it's a word of invitation to all. It is not a uh, negating or pushing others away. It's not a select or elite group of people. In Luke chapter 14, 21 and 22, so that servant came and showed his Lord these things, and the master of the house being angry. So he goes out and he invites, he has a wedding, and he's inviting all these people to come, this feast, not a wedding, but a feast, And so he sends his servants out, and these people are like, well, I'm busy, and I'm busy, and I'm busy. It's kind of like Israel saying, I'm too busy for God. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. And yet there is room. Jesus would also say, you know, that there was many listeners, but few followers. Matthew 8, 18. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to the part on the other side. Jesus understands, listen, just because someone might listen to me doesn't mean they're a follower of me. And Jesus would know that, obviously, you know, and you find even further in John six sixty six. from that time many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. He began to speak on hard issues and people said, whoa, 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 this is just too much. You know, and he asked them, are you guys also going away? He said, will ye also go away? So you think about this, and then uh, what's another component there? The priests in the temple, uh, the, the spe- specificity that he gave to them, and Aaron and his sons, that God was training them and God was teaching them. We find also that Jesus gave the fact to the local New Testament church, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So what is it that we are teaching and preaching? what Jesus commanded. What was it that the priests were to read to the people? They were to read the law. We read what Jesus has done. We read all the scriptures, but Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples. He's saying, listen, I want you to make more disciples. The Great Commission is not just evangelizing. It is also entailing discipling and teaching others, much like the priests were teaching other people. There's a refreshment of the people. He sat down and he would, you know, we have meals and feasts here sometimes. He was, we've been commanded to give out the gospel. Israel was commanded to be a light to the Gentiles. A light to the world. Now what is some structure that we have in, in church? God selects a man to oversee the church. Now to oversee it as an under-shepherd under the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But God has given, much like you would have a high priest and then priests underneath of that, there within the ministry, and some larger churches will have a pastor and, and some assistants or others to assist them uh, in a larger ministry. And then smaller ministries, obviously, they don't have that capability. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, much like you have the high priest, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. I'm not trying to say the pastor is a high priest, okay? We're all priests before God. But I am saying there's an oversight. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Is God specific? This whole thing, I'm bringing all this about the New Testament church, the saying that God is specific. He's given us how a church, so a church functioning, if it should, you know, if it doesn't have a pastor, it ought to be looking for a pastor. You see, when you think about this, there was an anointing of Aaron and his sons. They would anoint them with oil. And then in the New Testament, Acts 13, 2 and 3, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said to the church of Antioch, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereinto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So God gave a command. Here's how you ordain. We don't we're not anointing them as he did in the Old Testament. We're putting our hands on them and we're sending them out in the ministry. We're fasting, we're praying, and we're sending them out. We're ordaining into the ministry. So God is again given another specific. A man doesn't just go start a church. Well, I think this place needs a church. I'm going to do it without the authority of another local New Testament church that sent you. You've got to be sent. Because again, there's some church that's sending you out. You're ordained. You're under, you're not just a free agent. You're under, you know, the priests. They had the ordination of God who consecrated them. And then, then, then after that, it was their sons. And they would, you know, if they were injured or handicapped, they weren't able to be a priest or in the ministry of the tabernacle or temple. But we also understand in the consecration of a, of a minister if it possible, do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? They which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. He says, listen, there are those, if you're in full-time ministry, ought to be supported by the local church as possible, right, as available. Now, there's limitations on to who may fill the pulpit. It was, in the Old Testament, it was only the men. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And that in just regards, you can't have women pastors, okay? And uh, we ought to be saved, we ought to love one another, and keep his commandments. 1 John chapter 3, 23 and 24. What about evangelism? God tells us where to sow the gospel. He would tell the disciples. He commanded them, go not in the way of the Gentiles. So when the disciples came, he gave specific commands, don't go in the way of the Samaritans. Now Jesus went to the Samaritans, but he said to his disciples, when he sent them out in Matthew 10, he said, go out, but just reach the Jews. Now today in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're to give out the knowledge. Where, we, where do we receive our calling? It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a great commission type illustration. When a young boy became separated from his father on the streets of a busy Argentinian city last month, this is recent, a concerned pedestrian promptly came to attend to him. He asked him his name and his father's name. He then hoisted the young man onto his shoulders and began to cry out, Eduardo, come and find Juan Cruz. 
It wasn't long before all the diners and pedestrians in the busy square began chanting aloud with him, Eduardo, come and find Juan Cruz. Soon even a street band took up the call, call quickly turning the chant into a song. And playing along with all the concerned sing citizens singing together, Eduardo, come and find Juan Cruz. Panic turned to comfort, encouragement, and support. It turned into a collective mission as the entire community banded together to reunite young Juan Cruz with his father. And it worked. Dad heard the commotion, followed the sound of the chants, zeroed in on the location, ran to gather his son into his arms. What's the application of this? What is the Great Commission? What's our mission? If not to help lost souls to find their way back to the Heavenly Father. The Christian church, right? Every local church bands together. Same passion, purpose, a collective mission as the diners and pedestrians who wanted, who chanted, Eduardo, come and find Juan Cruz. What would happen if we united in solidarity with one another to pray for, minister to, and witness to each other's lost family members, neighbors, friends, strangers, hoisting them up on the shoulders, so to speak, to give them a view of the Father, calling the Father to come and find them, praying together with each other and for each other. Father, come and find my brother, Joe's neighbor, Sharon's employer. Lord, give us your church as much passion to the loss as the crowd had for little Juan Cruz to be reunited with his father. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has, not, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, when you think about this, the fact is the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Did God give us a mission? Yes, he did. Did God give a mission to Israel in the Old Testament? Yes, he did. They were to be a light to the world. They were to give out. God gave specific commands. The temple was people were to see the glory and the grandeur and the power of God upon the temple. They were to see Israel in the temple and in the, uh, the desert with the tabernacle as they got out of Egypt. I mean, there in Canaan land, the people said, God got you out of Egypt. We saw the works that God gave. Again, it's all bringing praises to God. In the present day with the local New Testament church, God's saying, listen, here's specific boundaries, orders. Here's how I want you to construct it. Now, God doesn't tell us how to build the buildings and all of that. He doesn't give us specifics on that. Obviously, it's different for every area that you're in and obviously the size of the church. But we find, nevertheless, that, again, the, in Israel, if when they began to prostitute themselves and go away from God into idolatry, God's presence removed from them. There was an accountability and that's exactly what God gives to us today, Luke 19, 15. It came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called to him to whom he had given the money, you know, he gives certain different money to each of these servants, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. There is an accountability that you and I have before God in how we live our lives, commanding them. And God even gives commands. He says, listen, in Matthew 5, if you're angry, he says, listen, if you want to approach the holy place, if you want to approach the presence of God, you've got to go past the brazen labor. You've got to go past the place where you wash your hands. You've got to be pure. God's saying, listen, you've got to be pure as a Christian before you can approach me. I don't want your presence. I don't want your, uh, your gifts to me. He says, if you have ought against a brother, make it right. He says, love one another. He gives power over unclean spirits. He gives a there's warnings of adopting worldly ways to do things. I'd like you to look with me at Exodus 34. It'll be a little bit shorter this evening on this, but Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 
verse 11. He says, Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. God gives a command here. He says, Israel, before you go into the promised land, you must get rid of all worldly worship. Get rid of everything from the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, Perizzites, and so forth. And here's what one, an illustration here. It says, if a church changes doctrine and structure to follow its members' views, it is difficult to see the value of that church and its religion. Religion must claim to be true and in their essentials to uphold principles that are universal and eternal. No church that panders to the zeitgeist deserves respect. And very shortly, it will not get respect except from those who find it politically useful and that is less respect than disguised contempt. This book, Slouching Towards Gomorrah by Robert Bork. Another quote here. This downward trajectory of cultural standards places increasingly greater pressures on the church as it strives to maintain the clear moral imperatives of the scriptures by... Uh, The book, Shepherd Leader, Timothy Whitmer. I don't know anything about their position, but good statements. We're going to look further at the blessings of obeying God's commands and the curses for failing to do so, but God has a plan. God was specific, and and there's a lot more I could say, and I, I didn't want to go into all the details, but I just wanted us to think that God has given, with respect to the church, very clear, specific commands. That the singing of the music is from the heart to the Lord, It is not about the music that just makes me feel good, but it is music that is uh, uh, godly, that it is structured. Uh, It's orderly music, if you think about it from a musical position. But it's also that it's, it's always an upward focus to the Lord. And you think about this. Additionally, the pastor, he has certain qualifications he has to meet, just as a priest did. There is, in regards to brethren and members and all of those things, God has specifics. Just as in the Old Testament, there were specifics of who could approach the Lord and different, uh, how close and all those things, there were specifics that God gave. God had set apart the Sabbath day for Israel to think about and reflect and worship God. New Testament believers set apart Sunday because Jesus rose. He rose again in the new week, and on the first day of the week, He rose and He appeared to them, and they celebrated to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of parallels. God is specific here on His commands. He's as specific here in the New Testament era. We can't be changing things. We can't be moving church around to just whimsically do as we wish. God has a plan. And so we must stop making excuses and do as God has sanctified. He sanctified the seventh day and and, and then the church age. He has the first day of the week, the Lord's day. Now, we're not under the law. I understand that. But it is a time of spiritual and personal rest into God and with fellow saints in the Lord, much like they would go through. 
If God was so specific about the day and the details of where and how to worship him, and God doesn't change, and we know he doesn't, would it not reason that the believers today should study the word of God to figure out that God, what God requires for the local church? Would it not be advantageous to realize that the believer's position towards Christ is unrestrained praises and adoration of God? Why do we have to have so many feuds about interpretations of Scripture and the proper worship of God? The answer is because man wants to make God in his own image. He wants God to conform to his lifestyle, which is the hedonism of the day. Final illustration here before I'm done. Isn't it strange how a $20 bill seems like a huge, seems like such a large amount when you donate it to church, but such a small amount when you go shopping? Isn't it strange how two hours seems so long when you're at church and so short when you're at a ball game? Isn't it strange that you can't find a word to say when you're praying, but you have no trouble thinking what to talk about with a friend? Isn't it strange how difficult and boring you think it is to read one chapter of the Bible, but how easy it is to read 100 pages of a popular novel? Isn't it strange how everyone wants front row tickets to concerts or games, to do whatever is possible to sit at the last row in church? Isn't it strange how we need to know about an event for church at least two weeks before the day so we can include it in our agenda? Not here, but at some churches. But we can adjust our day and our calendar for other events at the last minute. Isn't it strange how difficult it is to learn spiritual things to share with others, but how easy it is to learn, understand, extend, and repeat gossip? Just some questions you think about, and I thought that when you think about the New Testament church and and God's position of it. And again, this is a very uh, high view of, uh, you know, way up there, uh, not detailed view of the scriptures. But I just want us to think about, if God was so specific, he sanctified the seventh day, he had the Sabbath for Israel, uh, he has the first day for us New Testament believers, then there's some specifics that we ought to say, what does God think about the church? Church isn't, no, church does bless us, it encourages us, it helps us, (laughs) the fellowship. But, Ultimately, it's not, about, it's not for us, it's for God. We're blessed by it, we're encouraged by other believers. There is that, I mean, the assembly of the believers coming together, uh, helping one another, bearing one another's burdens, absolutely. But it's not about us, it's not just a social club, it's all about God. When we get that refocus and realize the commands of God in the Old Testament for the worship and in the New Testament for worship, it begins to say, you know what, I'm not doing church anymore for myself, I'm going to do it for God. I just want you to think about those thoughts, and I know, again, it was very, a little more brief and a little bit shorter message tonight, but I want you to really think about that. Why do I do church the way I do it? Why do we gather the way we do? Why do we sing what we sing? Some of it is, yes, it is tradition, some of the songs, the hymns. But it's not just, I'm trying to cater to the crowd of the day. I'm trying to continue to perpetuate a proper, contrite worship to God. So as we come to the time of invitation this evening, first of all, the question is, number one, do you know Jesus Christ? Number two, as a Christian, begin to think about if God's making commands about church he made commands about the old testament lord maybe what in my life am i undermining of that which you've given to us the church is a blessing jesus started the very institution of it 
And I trust tonight we'll have a time of invitation, no music playing. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, just as you talk with the Lord, and I don't know how the Lord may have spoken to you, but you think about this. Again, uh, there was just several points I covered on in, in brevity, but there is an accountability God gives us within the church, before Him, before others. God's given us in the music. He's given us uh, the manner to approach Him. And I trust that we would just say, Lord, if you command it, I'll follow it. And I trust that you'd study it out and look at it and think about it. When you're done praying, feel free to look up and we'll conclude in prayer.